Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your accent is not Canadian. It's not. Can you guess? Um, I'm I'm still investigating the UK, but I'm gonna say it's London-ish. Uh, well, it's uh, the the right country, England, but okay. I'm actually a northerner. Okay. So Cheshire, sort of um, near, in between Liverpool and Manchester. Most people know. Okay. Liverpool and Manchester. Because the northern you, northerner you get, the more Scottisher the sounds become. It sounds like to me, and you mm-hmm. you still have a very crisp, delectable kind of accent going on. It, it it's quite neutral. It's okay. a I think it's more of a neutral accent. It's not very northern, that's for it's sure. It's like the the Midwest uh, accent for the UK. Kind of the UK, the 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 standard English. I suppose it's it's the standard English. It's not very regional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's a, a Canadian twang to it. I think maybe in well, the intonation. When we get to you apologizing, uh, I'm sure I'll I'll start to hear that. That's always the stories. Always. <laughs> Even Deborah So, who is Canadian, she's uh, in Toronto, and she she sounds like she's from America until she says sorry, and then it goes into that sewer. <laughs> I, I, it's unlikely that I'll apologize very much. I haven't become Canadian. I'll never consider myself Canadian. It doesn't matter how long I live here. Till the day I die, I'll be a Brit living in Canada. Do you feel like a stranger in a strange land or just superior to everyone? I don't feel superior, although at the moment I'm not especially enamoured with my adopted country. I think um, it's not the country that I thought it was when I chose to immigrate here. So I don't feel superior because I'm British, but I do think that my country is doing a much better job of handling the particular issue that I'm entrenched in. Where are you coming from in this issue? Like, what, what's your background in thinking about this stuff? Did you not think about it until you peaked? Well, I'm embarrassed to admit that I was I was somewhat woke um, okay. prior to peaking, but there were I was woke because I leaned to the left politically, and I moved to Canada, and so I made a whole brand new set of friends. And if you you sort of gravitate towards the people with the same political beliefs, typically it's not unusual. So all of the friends that I made here were woke, or most of them. So I just sort of adopted that way of thinking. I wasn't very political at all, and and I and there were signs that I wasn't truly woke because I still had a sense of humor. And <laughs> I was able to laugh at things that people, the the woke don't have a sense of humor. They're not able to laugh at anything. So there were signs that I wasn't truly woke. And then then it was a very rapid change from the tweet, the JK's tweet um, 
I read it and I just, I couldn't understand what all the fuss was about. And I even asked woke friends, I went into it on Facebook. I don't see what the fuss, the fuss is about. And that was the first time that I experienced something of a pile on Mm-hmm. where they were all calling her a turf and, and trying to show me why it was hateful. And I just couldn't see why it was hateful at all. And so I plunged down a rabbit hole that possibly I wish I'd never gone down. But then I emerged a fully fledged turf. I was outraged by what I had learned okay. and just started tweeting about it. So this rabbit hole, where does it begin? And is it just one hole or is it a warren? Oh my goodness, it's a whole world. So it's, it, it, for me, it began with, so it's something about the tweet. You can't, I've seen it so many times, but it was sex is real. What did she say? Sex she is said, real. Dress however you want, uh, love whoever you want, um, something, 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 but denying that sex exists or going after a woman for saying so, you, you're losing me. I should memorize it by now. Because I know I should there. have it imprinted in my brain. I can't believe I don't. But anyway, I'll make a it was marker and put it on the screen. Real. Yeah. <laughs> so I that was the moment when I realized that we were supposed to believe that trans women were actually women. Okay. And I didn't know that. I thought we were all just saying trans women are women to be kind. I didn't realize we were actually supposed to believe that they were women the same as as me or or anyone else any other woman so that was the first moment and then from from realizing we were supposed to believe they were actual women next came the male lesbian and i know i talk about the male lesbian all the time on twitter i tend to go on on rants about male lesbians but it's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. People are actually pretending that there's such a thing as a male lesbian. And that was the point of no return for me when I discovered that there are heterosexual men who think they are women and therefore think they are lesbians. There was no coming back. That was I was a turf from that point on. And then what came next, I guess it was children, which is my main issue. It's the thing I, I tweet about the most, the, mm. the atrocity being committed in pediatric gender clinics. And then you learn about detransitioners and you learn about um, the complete lack of safeguarding and um, just the medical world has just lost their minds and the education system is complicit in it and it, that that's and then you go from the, there are many more terrible rabbit holes that you plunge down after that and I'm still plunging down them I don't think I don't think there's a limit to this you are now a plunger <laughs> of the territory <laughs> so I, I've had uh, many conversations with um, women in your position and professionals in your prof- position as well. Somebody's looking into this who peaks. It's interesting where that word comes from. I, I need to look up the etymology because it has a very specific meaning where the trans bubble that you were accepting as a good liberal just suddenly just pops and you're like, wait, what? Right. So that's kind of what peaking means. But within Canada, y'all and your adopted country is pushing it probably the hardest of anyone there there's certain states or territories in australia or new zealand they're going pretty hardcore but canada as a whole is pretty darn woke and the power is actually centralized in quebec 
And I, I think like 97%, I, I was talking to Jonathan Peugeot, who's also Canadian. He was saying like 80 or 90% of politicians are actually Quebecois, or at least the, the government apparatus is pretty uh, centralized there. So I'm wondering, is that your concern? Are you looking into what Canada is doing specifically? And can you inform us about what's happening in Canada? We can concentrate on speech codes or on the concept of the trans kid and how that's being implemented. My focus is typically children. Um, yeah. The the free speech, it's all entwined with it. I mean, it's it's the the attack on free speech is the the reason why we've ended up in this place. If we if we had free speech, truly had free speech, and were able to openly discuss this, what is happening to children would not have happened. So hmm. we, I, I I believe that. So okay, but. In Canada, yeah, the, for me, it's, it's, I'm a member of CAUSEBAR, which is the Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights Group. It's a, we're a women's rights group. We are painted um, as an anti-trans hate group. We're constantly vilified, but we're just a bunch of women who see the harm with, with this whole gender issue, and we... We're fighting it in our different ways. We have different campaigns, different projects going, and I am the child safeguarding lead within mm. Causebar. So my focus is entirely education and what is trying. I'm trying to wake people up in the education system to what's happening in the gender clinics because they have no idea. They they they're teaching this nonsense and they're socially transitioning all these children, but they don't have the faintest idea about what's happening in the gender clinics. And in Canada, officially, detransitioners do not exist. We we have yet to acknowledge the fact that detransition is a thing and that these these young people, more and more young people regret the decision. We, we completely have not acknowledged that at all. It's amazing. Um, on what level? Media? Government? How would one acknowledge a detransitioner's existence? Well, I, I say that actually, but now I'm remembering. So there's a media blackout, mainstream media, complete blackout. We do not, they have, no one has acknowledged any part of this issue is happening. Except every now and again, we get a glimmer of hope. So CTV, which is a major, a mainstream outlet, CTV ran a segment about detransitioners. Sinead Watson was featured in it and another one I can't remember. And it was balanced with a, a trans kid who's really happy with their transition. Uh, that's the only time. Maybe there's been one article about Kira Bell, um, but other than that, and every, every time it's sort of balanced with detransition is a very rare event. People still believe it's less than 1%. So there's just we no don't have the numbers it. yet. It's very difficult to have that number. We only have guesses, and it's all self-reported, too. And then there's a lot of psychological issues and social issues around somebody coming out as detransitioner. So I'm part of my work uh, uh, that I didn't intend is to empower uh, that cohort to have a place to speak out and tell their stories. But I, I don't know how big that cohort is. But if it's not even mentioned, then it's more than what the media 
will have you all believe. It is. Well, we'll have, I don't know if you saw, there was the um, the health secretary in England just did, just announced an urgent inquiry, right, in response to the, the CAS review, the interim report of the CAS review. And one part of this urgent inquiry is they're going to give the CAS um, review, they're going to give them access to the centralized record keeping of the NHS and they're going to track everyone who's gone through the Tavistock clinic and how and what the rate of regret is. So that's our first chance at seeing in in one country what the the actual rate of regret is. Because a couple of gender clinics in England have done short-term follow-up. This is the part that blows my mind. They're doing the most reckless medical experiment to date in the world that we've ever seen. And not one country in the world was following up on these children. They they send them off into the world and just hope for the best. Nobody cares what becomes of them. So England will be the first country to give us a number. And it will be interesting to see. Do you know, to your knowledge, have not the Dutch or Swedish done that yet? Because I know that they're kind of changing their position on early uh, transition. So. You would think so. The Dutch, I don't know. I am the. I would think, yeah. I would think that the the Swedish are definitely they. They've been the at the front of this this movement to acknowledge the harm and and shift things back into the right direction. So yeah, I I don't know what their official um, research is, but I would assume yes. The Dutch, I'm not so sure. I I listen to the podcast Stella Romali does um, with the the the. Dutch protocol people, the two who started this whole thing, and and they seem to be in complete denial that there's anything like the rapid onset gender dysphoria and the rates of regret that we're and we're talking about. They seem to be in complete denial. So I don't know where the Dutch are up to. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I just wanted to open that up as a possibility um, because the commenters will come. So. Oh, sure. Correct me. I, I, I don't <laughs> mind. Correct me on anything. There's an interesting concept. Uh, this is kind of topical, um, but you made an interesting connection between the concept of free speech and what's going on with specifically, let's just say, children. Isn't it? It's kind of a. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how free speech covers that, or is it the inability to speak to this, or the way that language has been uh, regulated? I guess is what you're saying. The way that one's language is being policed to define, let's just say, woman as the category of one who identifies as a woman rather than uh, a woman as we all knew it up to two and a half years ago, three years ago. So that's kind of just an interesting tension between it's not necessarily freedom of speech, but it's the ability to speak and also speak accurately as well. And that's kind of what's at play here. So your work is to educate and to bring attention to this. And I'm wondering what kind of language are you having to use in order to persuade people 
who are unaware without, you know, sending them into the uh, shutdown that has been programmed into them with the way that the transgender language game works, where it just kind of shuts down thought um, when we go into biological reality levels. So are there some adventures and talking that you've had? <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if you saw my how to peak the woke thread that it's now deleted. I deleted it the day before Elon. Well, I don't know if he's even bought Twitter. I don't know if we're even safe, but I had this thread that I wrote because I have been peaking Canadians since I well, since I started speaking out on this. I have a 100% track record of peaking the wokest of the woke Canadians and I wrote a thread about it. Yeah, I, I think I can brag about this. It's quite, it's quite. Oh, if you're hitting a thousand, you're hitting a thousand. Well, there you go. Um, but the the thread I deleted it because it kept getting reported. I really did make them angry with this thread, and I wrote it when I wrote it. I it was with the intention of it just being read by our bubble of turf Twitter. I didn't imagine it going as far as it did. So it was blunt, and I can all I can see why they were upset by it, but. I think gentle language is really, really important when you're trying to reach people, because if you start calling them child abusers or groomers or whatever, they will immediately shut down and they won't listen to you. So I have, there's my peaking technique. And then there's the letter that I have sent, like I sent a letter to 3000 school board trustees um, about social transition and what's going on in the gender clinics. And that letter, I tried to keep, word it as gently as possible, acknowledging that the, the strange thing about this, right, is that all of the people doing all of this terrible harm in the education system are doing so because they're good people and they really care and they think they're doing the right thing. And so I wrote it with that in mind, that I understand you, everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. But you have to consider the wider issue that what happens to these children after they leave the school and when they get to the gender clinic. And, and so gentle is is the way that's my I like to be as as understanding and as gentle as I can to reach as many people as I can. Examples being examples of the language I use or yeah. Do you, do you have it at hand or in your head, like how you, how you would go through that? Like just pretending like this conversation is uh, pointers for the broader movement. Um, you know, so avoiding uh, hard language, using soft language. And then how do you describe the problem? Like what's kind of the set? You said that there's tremendous harm going on. So how do you start to describe that? Okay, so for the so if we're focusing on education, the the letter went. It was first of all, yes, acknowledging that you do, you think you're doing the right thing, but um, then I talked about rapid onset gender dysphoria. I don't think I called it that because it's a contested name. So the social contagion factor, the explosion in numbers, the fact that it's mostly teenage girls and the fact that it's very likely a social contagion. And then I walk them through the steps. So first comes social transition. I know that teachers think they're doing the right thing, but the, the, once you socially transition a child, you are helping to concretize the gender identity into their minds. 
making medical transition almost a foregone conclusion. So it's, uh, I think I called it uh, practicing psychotherapy without a license, which may have been a bit harsh, but that's what they're doing. Um, and then, so I talked them through the, the medical transition side and then brought in detransition, telling them that this does happen, that as these young people are getting maturing, many are starting to regret it. Um, hang on. And then, hmm, I can't remember, where did I go from there? I haven't read the letter for a while. I think I, I just try to, I always sort of go into the future. So uh, I, I, I think I said to them, just imagine, let's say even a fraction of these young people regret the decision that they made. And they are infertile for life. They're missing body parts. They've had mastectomies and everything. Um, this will not reflect well on the teachers and the school boards who allowed this to happen, especially because the whole point of the letter was they keep this information from the parents, you know, this whole phenomenon of the, the kid will socially transition at school and the school doesn't tell the parents. So that was, my point was you need to tell the parents so the parents have the best chance of getting their child help as, as, as quickly as they can. So it's, uh, I guess it's just standard procedure across Canada to hide the gender identity of students. Do you know when that was put in and how the heck that got put in? Uh, I do. Well, I do. So it's technically not put in. Like what we have is gender identity and gender expression were added to the human rights codes, provincial human rights codes, starting in 2012. Ontario, we were the first. And the last province was added in 2017. And then in the, the then they then they produce these policies on how to um, prevent discrimination for gender identity and gender expression. And in the policy, which I think Ontario's is dated 2014, it does actually say schools must keep a child's gender identity confidential unless the child permits the, um, them to, to, to tell others or unless there's a need to know it's worded something like that. So activist groups, I think, and school boards have drawn up their own policies, interpreting that to mean keep it from the parents. But surely that was never the intention. Keeping it confidential within the school, I mean, even that, how do you do that? But to keep something so vitally important, such an important piece of information about a child from the parents, I think it's more just an activist interpretation. And all of the school boards have just listened to these activist groups who really do have a lot of influence in, in policy making. But I just cannot believe that it's truly in our human rights code. I think it's just a bizarre interpretation. And as well, because if you, like 2012 to 2014, this is when it was all happening, the the social contagion of rapid onset gender dysphoria didn't really get going until 2015 or 2016. 
So when they made these, when they drew up these policies, they, I don't think they could ever have predicted what was just about to happen, this explosion of teenage girls identifying as, as trans and the, inter, the, the sort of it's internet fueled, you know, it's, it's all happening online. I don't, I don't think they, they understood, well, they certainly didn't understand what was about to happen. So they just need to understand what is happening now and perhaps change the policies uh, with that in mind. And what have been the responses to this letter that you sent? Well, it was almost 3,000 trustees, and I would say I've had probably at the most 30 responses, which is more than I actually expected. I didn't really expect anyone to respond. 29, or well, I would count as positive, and then one guy just a couple of days ago in BC, he all he wrote, he wrote with the caps lock on unsubscribe, as if I'm someone trying to sell him stationary supplies or something. He's unsubscribing to a mother, a concerned Canadian mother raising issues about safeguarding. So he's the only one with a negative response. I was expecting more negative responses, of course. Some started out a bit hostile. Um, we don't have that policy. And then I quick Google search and I found the policy and then we talked it through. Others started out with, it's a safety issue. We have to keep it quiet because what if the, the parents are not supportive and the child comes to harm? But in this in this instance, I think when when they're saying like the if a, if a parent is unsupportive, that means not affirming. And I I try to explain to them how it's not the parent's job to affirm every adolescent whim. You know, we're not there to indulge every every little thing that our teenagers come up with. And this particular issue, because if you if you just go ahead and affirm, you could be setting your child on this dangerous path that can end with a lifetime of regret. It's 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 good parenting to not immediately affirm. So I had some good conversations. I did have a lot of I agree with you, but I I can't say anything. It's too it's too controversial. I can't speak up on this issue, which sort of irritates me, but I understand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hmm. Well, they can't speak up on the issue. If you're pointing to a policy that is anti-parent, then what is there not to respond to? I mean, are they not opening themselves up to litigation or I guess they think that the courts would be on their side because of potential harm uh, from a parent rather than from the doctor and medical establishment. I mean, it's, it's a mass psychosis. It's just interesting to try to revisit, like, how are people not seeing that, okay, you're trying to protect a child by opening up to such potential loss. Um, well, no one sees the harm here because detransitioners don't exist. So, okay. 
what does it what does exist here in Canada is the transgender child and what does not exist is the detransitioner so if if transgender children really do exist then the schools are doing the right thing by um helping them become their true selves and because there's no such thing as a detransitioner everyone lives happily ever after and nobody has to feel bad about anything hmm. the the concept of helping somebody become their true selves is really interesting I mean, that's kind of a religious statement fundamentally it's a religious statement it's like you have a belief of what a human being is and how it's actuated in the world and this is taking part of probably some sort of mixture of theories on sexuality and then just applying it to the, the gender makeup, right? So it's like, if you're homosexual, I think that's where it kind of begins. And I don't mean to make a slippery slope fallacy about accepting or rejecting somebody's sexuality, but I think that it's a more, it's taken that concept of a child is gay or straight. And if they're gay, they're probably going to have a lot of consequences from that social consequences and then life consequences as well. And we want to be provide them safety it's just different than normal the same thing with the transgender thing but there's just a disconnect with how gender identity manifests via medicalization and the way in which homosexuality or various sexualities manifest through relationships with other people right that's not uh, going through a official process you just kind of discover it i guess one day well, t to me, gender identities don't exist. So uh, you, sexuality obviously does and gender identities don't. And they love to conflate the two. They love to, if you don't support trans rights, then you're exactly like the homophobes of the 1980s. And nobody wants to be painted in that way. But there's absolutely nothing. They have nothing in common. So, you know, gay rights never demanded that we restructure reality to um, accommodate them. The gay rights movement didn't ask us, didn't demand that we sterilize children, didn't demand that we we all pretend that children can be born in the wrong body, didn't ask any of this of us. But it was just a simple fact of accepting people for who they are. The trans rights movement is the opposite, isn't it? It's we mm. are being forced to accept people for something they are not. And we're, so we're expected to restructure our entire view of reality in order to accommodate them. Yeah, that, that accepting and then that, uh, that accepting of the authentic self, like that's just such a sticky, uh, not sticky, but uh, uh, captivating idea that you can help a child become their true authentic self. I don't know. I don't know what that really means, but like that's just been a part of our culture for so long. I think we just kind of take it for granted as how we manifest ourselves as liberal Westerners. It's just like you, you're on a journey of self-discovery and self-actualization, and that's what life's all about. It's all about you becoming your authentic self, and the gender ideology just kind of fits into presuppositions that preceded it. That I, I, I'm starting to question, like what is this authentic self? in relationship to what you know is is it how I, 
you know, if you look at uh, young people kind of battling with identity, they're really caught up in how people see them. And trans rights uh, or gender ideology really stresses that their existence is situated within language and within the perception of other people. And it doesn't exist outside of that transaction. And, I, you know, so so I know that that's a part of our development, but it doesn't seem like there's anything after that. It's just who you appear to be and who everybody else sees you. That is the sum total of your existence. Like literally they say it's their existence like that, but that, that idea wouldn't make any sense if there wasn't ideas before that, that kind of make it somewhat make sense, even though it's like an extreme version of something. I'm getting a little philosophical here, but I'm just trying to wrap my head around how we got here. Well, and the idea that a child could know as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've changed rather a lot since I was a teenager and as everyone has. So the idea that we've got sometimes a 10-year-old or 12-year-old or something, they know who they are. They know what their true self is at the age of 12. It's impossible. Of course they don't. I'm a completely different person today than I was just three years ago. We're constantly evolving. Us, this, who we, how we see ourselves, and how others see us—it's a—it's constantly evolving. So mm-hmm. we're locking these children in to the the person that they are at age eleven or age twelve. We're allowing them to make decisions that locks them into this identity. It's. It truly is a mass psychosis that a society could allow this to happen. Like we, we had a, an article because we're we're so far behind everywhere else. We don't have any any uh, any media outlet that's willing to take the the other side of this issue. And not even the conservative rag that you guys have. And absolutely oh, okay. nothing. We've got the National Post. Nothing. Absolutely nobody is willing to touch this issue. And hmm. so we have. I'm the sure CBC. Barbara Kay. I just have to plug Barbara Kay because she's totally based. Oh, she's so wonderful, she's, but yeah. they they won't they won't, oh, they won't let her okay. exactly. Every now and again, something, but like we need a constant stream of this. We need it constantly in 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 the news, and it's just not coming at all. But I read something. I was about two months ago or a month ago, and it was a supposed to be it was CTV, and it was supposed to be a heartwarming story about an eleven-year-old boy in Ottawa, here in Ottawa, who had been chemically castrated at the gender clinic at the local hospital. And the whole story reads as if we're supposed to be really proud of this gender clinic and what a wonderful thing this boy has found his true self and he's a girl. And there's a quote in it from the child and it says something like, I, I, I'm, I'm coming out and talking about this because I want to show other people in the same position as me that they can make the same choice as young as I have and still live a very good life. And I thought, this kid is 11 years old. They don't know anything about what's to, what's to come, like a lifetime of impotence, a lifetime of infertility, all of the, the health issues that come with medical transition. This this kid doesn't know anything. And, and that's the way it's been quoted in the CTV article to encourage other young children to do the same. But and still, you could still have a good life if you do this. I mean, even in even that statement is a qualifier. <laughs> It's indicating that there's something very drastic going on that the kid does is aware of on some level. 
I'm reading it. I don't know. Do you correctly. think? I, I don't know that this kid has any idea what's to come. But what kind of journalism is that? That this is a this is a major news outlet. And there was no balance to the article at all. It was it really did seem as though it was an article aimed at encouraging young people who might be questioning their gender to take the same path. So have you spoken with uh, a teacher who is uh, kind of wokish and uh, into the gender ideology? And how do you navigate the cognitive dissonance in that? Or how do you kind of show them that there's other sides to this, that there's outcomes? Have you seen that occur over time in your interactions? Teachers, I don't think I have, actually. I've talked to all sorts. I Well, I've talked to many teachers who had their doubts and when i started certainly in my facebook world when i first started turfing on facebook i just i was all in it's a verb now (laughs) here we go with turfing (laughs) turfing down the lane it's a very versatile i i know people some some people object to to my using it all the time but it we reclaimed it and we reclaimed the slur very creatively and you can really play around with it it's very versatile so when I was turf, when I first started turfing on Facebook, it was it was mayhem. It was an absolute war zone in my in my Facebook world because everyone was woke. But I did have a number of teachers write to me who hadn't really they they knew something was not quite right. They were uncomfortable with what they were teaching and what they were seeing, but they hadn't really been able to. They hadn't looked into it at all. So they we we had good conversations and they they understand the issue now and i almost feel bad because they 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 don't have the courage to speak out no teachers that i've spoken to have the courage to speak out because they probably would lose their jobs so they they now understand the the harm and they still have to keep on teaching the nonsense and socially transitioning the children and they understand the harm that they're doing and with these teachers you see i I, I know I go on rants sometimes on Twitter at teachers. I, I, I flip between anger and compassion, anger and understanding. So yeah. sometimes I'm angry with these teachers who go along with it. Because if you're a teacher and you see children coming to harm, the children in your care coming to harm, and you say nothing, then you sh- you are complicit in this in this abuse. You are a part of the problem. But then on the other hand, I, I do understand that they they would probably lose their jobs and they have mortgages and families and everything. So I flip between the two. I, I understand and then I'm angry and I, I can't make my mind up. But I've never, I don't think I've ever peaked a woke teacher. I've peaked hmm. lots of people, but I don't think I've ever reached a woke teacher. You know, if, if you want to pay off a mortgage, you probably have to break a few eggs. Or perform a few orchidectomies, orchidectomies, whatever it's called, <laughs> snippy snippets. It's just it's an it's a moral quandary. It's it's literally like a thought experiment of uh, you know a trolley problem. If you just like, are you willing to sacrifice children in order to live your bourgeois lifestyle? Because that's mm-hmm. what it's come to, and uh, the tide's going to turn at some point. Maybe it won't, but oh, it has to. Um... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The, did you see that teacher in Ontario who spoke at a trustee meeting? It, it was in January. Like now, I after after this happened, I understand. I, I'm more understanding of teachers because this teacher in Ontario raised. She was doing a presentation on YouTube. Like they they broadcast them live on YouTube, and her presentation was about um, library materials, the suitability of library materials. And she talked about, she only got two minutes in to a 10-minute presentation before all hell broke loose. So the first book was something, Rick by Alex Gino, and it's about, I think it's about a 10-year-old boy who identifies as asexual because he doesn't think about naked girls or something like that. This is a book that was on a shelf of an elementary school, and she raised the possibility that maybe he's not thinking about naked girls because he's a child. And at this point, she got cautioned by the the chair of the board that, you know, we, we like to caution you about the Ontario Human Rights Code or something like that. So then she starts with the next book, and it was The Other Boy by M.G. Hennessy. And the part that she quoted was, the this is a trans-identified female teenager who's at the gender clinic and is starting, I don't know, testosterone or whatever, and and is being told that it will lead to infertility. And the teenager just says, yeah, that's cool. You know, typical teenage response. And this teacher said, perhaps this is trivializing major medical intervention and perhaps we don't want to be um, encouraging our our children, the, the children in our schools, to um, take this attitude to a life-changing decision. And then, really, she got, she got kicked out of the meeting. They told her, I, I think they told her that she'd violated the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. She had violated the Human Rights Code. And she was put on, she was put on uh, leave. She was suspended with pay, put on leave, and then she retired. So she never actually went back into the classroom. And this is just a teacher raising concerns about materials and and the, all of that happened. So I can see why teachers are afraid. The, I, I mean, not to overestimate Jordan Peterson's impact. Uh, he was kind of right about the Bill C-16. And I don't think he was, I don't even think he saw Uh, He saw something about free speech. So there is a direct line between starting to implement speech codes and then controlling thought. Like there's a direct connection between what you can and can't say and what you can and can't think or question, right? Or reason about anymore. Like it, it just, it shuts down intelligence, it, of, of course it does, but I don't. I don't think C sixteen. I, th- I I don't think C sixteen actually controlled our speech as much as we allowed it to. I I don't think there has actually been any attack on our on our freedom of speech in in, in legislation yet. I mean, the Trudeau has. I don't. He hasn't. Brought so you're back saying it's there. it's it's more interpretation of what's already there. 
I think it is. I think I, I, I'm not, I'm not a legal person, so I don't really understand. But the way I understand it is, I don't think misgendering, for example, misgendering. I don't think that that is a hate crime. I think activists screech an awful lot and try to make everyone believe that it's a hate crime, but I do not believe it's a hate crime. So I think we're going to need cases brought through the courts to 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 resolve this because nobody really knows what they can and can't say. The 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 brilliant thing about this teacher, going back to the teacher, so uh this was a fiasco she got kicked out and then a week later the school board do an emergency trustee meeting broadcast live on youtube to undo the damage of this transphobic hate that was going on the week before and they invite uh, several members of the local queer community to do presentations and it was every bit as circus-like as you can imagine. You know, you had all sorts of people talking all sorts of nonsense. But then at the end of it, they had a political science professor at Waterloo University. So this is all happening in the Waterloo region. And he comes along and he says to them, you've got it the wrong way round. You, like, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms protects Canadians' right to free speech and is there to control government. And he's like, you're using it, you've got it backwards, you're using it to control the speech of Canadians. That's the exact opposite of what it is there for. And also, he said, you can't just make a spur-of-the-moment decision that the human rights code has been violated. This is, we have experts who spend a long time balancing the rights and examining cases. It's not for you to just decide that it's been violated and kick someone out of a meeting. It was really like he gave them a good talking to. And it it sort of gave me hope because it's a Canadian talking sense, a Canadian mm. that has the courage to go out there and speak some sense. What was their reaction? Did, did they cut the video feed after that? No, they, I mean, it was, it was brilliant. I watched the whole thing and, and their faces throughout, you know, they were, they were just, their faces were absolutely perfect. I've watched it several times because it was so funny. Um, but they didn't say anything afterwards. They just, thank you for your presentation. And that was that. They had nothing mm. to say. What can they say? Hmm. Apologize. Uh, I don't know. The teacher retired though. Well, I don't think we've heard the last of her. She's been quite quiet since, but I suspect we haven't heard the last of her. Maybe I should try to get her on. Mm-hmm. So, do you are you considering uh, doing something uh, longer form, doing essays and stuff? I know you're speaking out. Maybe maybe that's the direction you want to go. You are a very pleasant uh, dis- conversationalist, so I can see you going this direction. But you're also a good writer, so I'm wondering are you going to branch out, um, start to organize in a different medium, like on uh, Substack or Medium or something like that. Yeah, I have been thinking about that because with every thread that I write about the medical history and stuff, there will be a number of people who say, you should start a Substack. So every now and every every thread, I think, well, maybe I should start a Substack, but I don't really know what that involves. I, I want to, like, all of the medical history is, is, it's, I need to get it all out of my mind because I'm always thinking about how it how it relates to what I'm seeing now and I have all these thoughts swirling in my mind so I would like to get it down into a long form piece because the threads are 
they're so I just take the tiniest bit of information, only the most the most crucial points where there's a whole lot more to say. And because I've been reading about it for months and months, it would be just nice to put it all somewhere. So, and what are you uh, speaking to in this? Are you speaking about the similarities between this and lobotomy or other medical scandals? Like, what what are you uh, focusing on with this research? I've done I've done several. I've read into several different. It's all medical scandals and and social contagions. So. Like the last thread that I wrote, which I had to, that was when I got suspended. So I had to, I had to shut down my account, lock down my account. But it, um, it was about the scandal of treating hormone therapy for tall girls and short boys. So it's the parallels were so striking. So that was a thing. What decade was this going on? In? Well, this is it. So it, it started in the 1940s and it spanned all the way to the 1990s. And it's pediatric endocrinology. It's the exact same field that is currently in in the midst of this scandal, at the center of this scandal. So, and it's it's almost mirror image. So they went from one scandal they learned nothing from that one and they just leapt straight into this one and so what they like so they would give tall girls who were predicted to be over a certain height and the height predictions were absolutely not accurate or they had no means to actually predict so they were just assuming which girls like guessing which girls would be tall and they would pump them full of estrogen because that would speed up puberty, thereby reducing the amount of time they had to grow. Completely. Is this scientific? Does that even make sense? <laughs> this is. There's no. Honestly, they knew nothing about the long-term safety risks. They had. They knew nothing about whether it was even effective, and they didn't even know who, what the final height was going to be anyway. And the the end result is they, they basically, because they don't know what the final height was going to be, they don't have any real way of measuring. And it seems to have maybe worked to reduce height by an inch. Maybe we don't even really know. And then they, they did a, an inquiry into it in 2000 and they found obviously high rates of uh, breast cancer, uterine cancer, miscarriage, endometriosis, um, all sorts of health problems came with, with pumping these girls full of estrogen. And then you've got short boys. And, and the thing is as well, what, the reason why it's, it's so similar is these tall girls to be tall was considered unfeminine, which is exactly what we're doing now to these girls who are not feminine, they're masculine girls, and we're pumping them full of testosterone rather than estrogen. But then the short boys, they were given human growth hormone. So they're extracting the the human growth hormone from the pituitaries of corpses sort of it seems in my mind when i was reading about it they're basically just grinding it up and injecting it into these boys long long needles as well again no actual knowledge of what their final height would have been it didn't seem to work very much for most of the boys it didn't even increase their height at all and then tragically a bunch of the boys start dying of 
Creutzfeldt Jakob disease, you know, the, the, the sort of like mad cow disease, that terrible brain virus type thing. It's not a virus. So because they were taking the pituitaries from people who had died of this disease and then they were grinding them up and, 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 and injecting it into the boys. It, it, but again, it's pediatric endocrinology. They have this scandal in the recent history and then they just leap straight into the next one. I, that's, uh, I didn't know any of that. I, I was just thinking like lobotomies and hysteria, but I didn't know about like, they were actually trying to engineer like I just, I just remembered, listen, listen to this. This I didn't put into the thread. I, I, I forgot to put it in. Um, Lupron is in there. At one point in the 80s or 90s, they've got these boys on Lupron, the puberty blockers, and they're pumping them full of the human growth hormone. Oh, no, this is not human growth hormone. This is synthetic growth hormone because they've done away with the the contaminated one so they, they they're blocking the puberty with lupron while at the same time injecting them with growth hormone and still without any evidence that it's even working it's 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 truly remarkable that they could that they could just leap from one to the other though so with regard to scandal did that come out and was there a public outcry i haven't heard at all i wonder if like was anybody held to account or the medical industry to stop doing it suddenly they're like oh that's probably a bad idea let's go on to something else with with the d with the so it's the des scandal that's the 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 mm. estrogen scandal there was an inquiry in australia i think and it it, it was a scandal but we don't really learn about medical scandals. It's not something that hits the news, I don't think, very much. It should. With, uh, with the, the CJD, that was some doctors in France with the, when they were injecting contaminated pituitary. Two doctors, I think, were criminally charged with manslaughter. And it was, a, it was another, it was a scandal. In, in, but I, again, I had never heard of it until I only came across it because I read a paper in which it was mentioned. It, somebody was comparing it to the scandal that's going on now. And there's a wonderful book. It's called Normal at Any Cost. And this book is what mm. I, it was mentioned in the article. And then I, and then I read the book, Normal at Any Cost. And it covers the entire, Do you entire scandal. Recall the author's name. I don't. It's two. Okay. It's two women. One of whom was a tall girl, but her f parents had refused the hormones. You see, there's a part towards the end of the book where the results of this this um, study, when they when they look into it, ninety nine point one percent of the girls who whose parents chose not to give them the hormone were glad they were glad that they had not been given the hormone whereas the regret rate for those who had been given the hormone was i think like 43 percent or something hmm. so it's i think it's very like now in that they just got they got caught up in what they could do without asking themselves whether it was the right thing to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you um it sounds like Canada is pretty far behind, so I'm wondering, uh, you know, I just had uh, Helen Joyce and Stephanie Davies Arai on, and they spoke about what's happening in the UK, and it seems like there's these reports coming out, and the 
health minister, whoever it is, is actually doing some pretty serious investigation of what's happening in the gender clinics. Is there any movement at all in Canada? Do you suppose that Canada will follow the UK if it comes, if they go one way or? I don't, I don't think they will at all. The day I think I I told you, I was very upset the day that I read about the health secretary announcing the urgent inquiry I was really, really upset that day. And I had to think about why am I so upset? Because there's been many uh, victory elsewhere. And it's always bittersweet in Canada. You know, we're happy for them, but we're really not happy about the situation here. But that one sent me plunging into despair. And I thought about it afterwards and I realized it's because I, 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 when I read about that, I instantly knew that Canada would ignore it. I knew that the story would not get picked up in Canada and I knew that it would have no impact. It was like there was no hope at all. I had no glimmer of hope that maybe this is it because all of them since the first Kira Bell ruling, I remember the day of the Kira Bell ruling, I got up at five in the morning for it because it was at 10 in, in England. And then I waited all day for someone in Canada to acknowledge it. And that moment never came. It's as if it, it's as if it didn't even happen. In fact, Ellen Page made her announcement that day. And if that was all that was in the news was the bravery of Ellen Page. And so with each, uh, with each victory somewhere else, I've always waited for Canada to just acknowledge it, that it's happened, and they never do. And so this one in England, this last one, I think I finally gave up hope. They just won't. I don't know how we manage to block it out. I don't know how everyone manages to tune it out and, and pretend it's not happening, but that seems to be the way they're doing it here. Hmm. I wonder what's covering for them. Uh, because it... I guess they could look at what's happening in America and they can get caught up into the left-right dynamic, the bigots versus the saviors of mankind and say the saviors of mankind and Disney are the good guys and everybody else is a bad guy. Therefore, we don't need to think of that because we are polite. We are just basically a pure version of progressive up here because at least we have a medical industry where everybody can get really shitty medicine, but everybody can get it. Um, so I just I wonder if every other country goes in a different way. In America, it's going to be different. It's going to be a huge. It could be one of many lines that fracture our country um, and turn us into some sort of stacked society where there's just kind of two different worlds that are kind of interacting as seldomly as possible because the there's so much difference. So it could be that Canada is just in the left bubble and doesn't have to deal with the right, but the right's going to fight on this. And actually a lot of the people in the democratic party are going to fight on this. I don't even know why the democratic party from the top down is, is imposing this on us, but it's not going to go like it's going in Canada because we have lawsuits. We have the medicine, I guess, goes through insurance rather than through the government. So there's a lot of different moving parts that will change this or codify it in a different way. So I just wonder if it's going to be the case that Canada is just going to be able to slip into a liberal bubble or progressive woke bubble on this, or if they're going to be the last country standing, uh, going to be the last country that's going full bore into this. And then at some point, they're going to have to recognize the 
consequences of a mass uh, sterilization of an entire generation. I, I don't know how you're going to ignore that forever, but I guess you can get away for it with it, it for a while. It can't be ignored forever. It's it's more for me. I understand how they are ignoring the development south of the border because Canadians do have this um, superiority complex, I suppose, where they they see themselves as better than the Americans, especially the Republican states. You know, we're much more progressive and tolerant than those bigots down there. So I can see how they're tuning that out. But how are they tune? How are we tuning out Sweden? and Finland. England, I suppose they can tune it out because it's a conservative government. I'm not really sure. I, there's no possible way it's going to go on forever. Of course, I do think we'll be the last stronghold though, hmm. because we, you see, we're not, other countries are moving in the right direction and the debate is happening and, and, and they're shining a light onto the, the clinics and the harm. Whereas we're not holding firm. We're still you know, crashing down the track towards catastrophe, we're, we're going in the opposite direction because we have gender-affirming healthcare bills. Well, we have one sitting waiting to be passed and, and another province proposing it. So it's not even that we're just holding firm and ignoring everything that's going on. We're, we're carrying on down the wrong path Hmm. But it has to end eventually. It's it's a it's a medical scandal, and the truth will come out. But I think we'll be the last to acknowledge it. Kind of fascinating, uh, tragic though it may be for the actual people um, that are going to are currently being and will be harmed by this. But it's kind of interesting watching Canada turn. Just weird. I never would have thought, but. No, it's not the country I thought it was when I chose to move here, that's for sure. So do you, um, were you artistic in another direction before you began this crusade, this turfing uh, pastime of yours? Artistic, not especially, no. Uh, not. Which kind of spice are you? Well, spice, I'm def- spice? I, I no. don't know if I'm comfortable giving myself a spice label. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, I, I, here's the thing. Before getting involved in this debate, there was something that I used to go on and on about all the time. And I have a feeling that my friends wish I would go back to this. Um, so when uh, when I was young, I, got, I, I developed rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune condition rheumatoid arthritis. And as a child, which is quite unusual... And so I had, I was, I used to ballet dance and I was quite sporty and I was very active. And then this, this put an end to it. And I, I went through most of my teen, well, all of my teenage years with aggressive rheumatoid arthritis. And then I moved to Asia after university and it was still really, really bad. I, I, but I was seeing rheumatologists and doing everything that the doctors told me to do. And then in Taiwan, they put me on Vioxx. I don't know if you've heard of the drug Vioxx. It's one of the big scandals. They, they, they put it on the market and then a bunch of people started dying and then they pulled it and there was a huge, huge lawsuits. So they put me on Vioxx. And then after about three months, I went to get the next prescription and they said, oh, sorry, we've taken it. It's off the market. It's killing people. And so I just decided to go completely off all medication and I turned to Google, this is in 
2002, maybe 2003. And I, and I changed my diet. And within one year, the, the illness was in full remission. And, and I'm, we're talking off the charts numbers when they, when they would test me, the rheumatoid factor, I think, is 14. Anything over 14 and you have confirmed rheumatoid arthritis. Mine was measuring in the 900s or up to close to 1,000. It was really, really aggressive. What, what, what is, what's going on in the rheumatitis? What is this? Like, is your cartilage, there's some sort of chemical in your blood that shouldn't be there? What's going on? The Well, rheumatoid arthritis is... Um, an autoimmune illness. So your immune system attacks, yes, the, the joints. Um, it, it was definitely diet related for me because okay. changing my diet put it into full remission and I'm still in full remission now. What's so, the, um, uh, the, the diet change? Just out of curiosity. Well, at the time, you see, I, I had no idea what I was doing and this wasn't a big thing at the time. So I definitely did more than I was supposed to do or more than was necessary because I lived on, I think I lived on fish, chicken, tofu, brown rice, vegetables, fruit, nuts and seeds for probably four years. Um, you don't have to do that, apparently. Like now there's a bigger movement and more information. You can just do a quick six-week elimination diet and then start adding food back in. But I didn't know that at the time. So before getting involved in the gender war, I was always going on about food and nutrition and stuff. And <laughs> it's possible my friends wish I would go back to that rather than male <laughs> lesbians and autogynophilia. <laughs> That's uh, kind of cool. You can make a little business or a side pamphlet, you know, after you're done turfing, you can just have like a little cleanse you're like i'm doing a, i'm doing a saturday cleanse we're going to talk about food now mm-hmm. on twitter yeah anywhere <laughs> i could <laughs> watch your engagement drop for those exactly <laughs> follow account plummets <laughs> so what what's next for you you're gonna you're doing these uh these threads what's the next story that you're diving into Do you have anything on the horizon to bait the audience with so that they can follow up with you the next thread? Yeah, or a project or? Well, I have multiple personality disorders sat in my, in my drafts, which is, it's a perfect parallel. It's almost too perfect. But I just can't, I, I have this, I don't know why I'm so uh, fixed on the idea that it must be 12 tweets long. I, um, I, I, I just set myself a limit of 12 and anything over, I have to whittle it down and cut it out. And I can't like the multiple personality one. It's, it's about 20 tweets. Well, it's about right multi-personality. So you can do a, <laughs> you can do a couple of threads and then you can thread the threads together. I could. Yeah. You have 12, so you could have a thread of 12 threads. There you go. Okay. I could, I, I have yeah. that much to say about that one. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's planned i i really want to write something longer and mm -hmm. yeah maybe a sub stack or something 
So is there a way for people to connect with uh, Canadians, women's sex-based right? Quisper, um, or Quisbar, I pronounce Quisbar. it. I think in Canada, more Quisbar. Quisbar. Terrible Quisbar. Canadian accent. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys have regular spaces? Spaces uh, is a functionality on Twitter that I don't use because it, it, it freaks me out. But like it's basically a group chat call and... You mentioned that you're on those. I was wondering, do you guys have regular ones of those so people can come in and listen? I think they do. The The one that I did, that was the first time. And I'm with you. I was, I'm quite, many people have asked me to join spaces and I'm completely, I'm too uncomfortable to, sometimes I'll join and then I can't, I'm too shy to speak. Hmm. The cause bar had me join because it was my tweet that it was about anti-hate yeah. Canada and about my tweet. And it, it was fun. I, I rather enjoyed it. And I think about 8,000 people listened to it. So it's a good, it's good reach and probably mm. outside of our, our bubble. Mm. But no, I don't do them very often. But I think other people do. And they, sometimes they can be really boring, the ones I've listened to. And other times they're, they're fun. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. I just, I, I like to control my content and you can't control that content. So I just like, I have my own little like safe space where I do my own work and then I publish it and I edit it to the uh, happy factor of me and my guest, you know, I don't, but I'm just so exposed to that stuff. It's just kind of a weird tick I have, I think, but we all have our limits, you know? We do. Um, so how does one, if one were to go on to twitter.com or open the app on their iPhone or Android phone, whatever phone you use, how would one find your Twitter name? How's it spelled at? It's, um, it yeah. it's underscore cry Mia river, but Mia nice. M I A cry Mia river. That's good one. <laughs> Is there an underscore after that? Just one underscore in the beginning. Just an underscore at the beginning. Yeah. Some people like to you know, make it um, symmetrical and they have an underscore before and after. Mm. I don't know that I had, I don't know that I had a one left over. Maybe I did. I wanted it without the underscore, but somebody had already taken it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to do tricks um, to get the name that you want. And then you just stuck with second rate Twitter name. Well, this is it. I guess I could write <laughs> to the other Crimea River and ask her for it. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, but Mia, you, uh, I never know what I'm going to get when I'm reaching out to somebody on Twitter, but it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I think that you are very articulate on a scale. You're like, a, you're an eight or a nine for articulate. I mean, you probably could be a 10 if like, you know, you're, you're completely on fire, but we kept it chill here. You know, this isn't Tucker Carlson. This isn't Crossfire. You know, this is just conversation. But um, I, I, uh, I enjoy your work, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to show people, your readers, a more fuller version of you. So thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs>